morning. I want to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be looking specifically at verses 12 and 13 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's likely a blue Bible located underneath a seat around you. Those Bibles are there for you to use. In that Bible, you can turn to page 986. That will bring you to our text. Beloved, uh, being a leader of other human beings <laughs> is no easy task. And hopefully, uh, I'm not telling you something that you don't know, just affirming what you already know concerning that matter. But whether it be in government or in the workplace or in the home, or in the church. Leadership is often very challenging and very difficult. Why? Sin would be the short answer, really. Sin. Sin, of course, in those who lead, right? Their sin creates challenges and problems, but also, also the sin of those being led. And really, I would say it's sinful pride I kind of just manifest all types of issues and challenges and problems between leadership and those who are being led. There's a passage in the Old Testament I've been able to relate to on some level, I guess, and found amusing. Maybe you're familiar with it. You know, the people of God were a, a complaining people in the Old Testament. Poor Moses. This poor man. Called out by God. Try to get out of it, but unsuccessfully. God has his way every time. Called out by God, Moses, to lead God's people into the promised land. And there's a passage in, in Numbers. There's just a series of complaints that the people of God kept bringing forth. If it wasn't this, it's that. If it's this, not that. And in uh, chapter 11 of Numbers in verse 11. We pick it up there and we read, Moses said to the Lord, after hearing more complaining, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? You can sense some of the frustration in his voice. He's a man, you know? He's a man struggling. That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? 
Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? They were upset about their diet. They were. That's what was going on. They were upset. Take us back to Egypt. At least we had good food there. You know, slavery. For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. And I get that too. I love meat. You know, I get it. But just continual. It was one thing after another. 14, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. And then this, if you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, <laughs> that I may not see my wretchedness. Wow. Right. You get that? Moses is just, he was at his end, you know trying to be a good leader, be a godly leader, lead these people, and just consistent opposition and complaining. And he's basically asking God to take his life, show him mercy. Now, following this, God gives some instructions about getting some help, delegating some of his uh, leadership, because he needed some help, but just I wanted you to see that. I've always found that fascinating just the 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 realness of this man as he's expressing his you know the the troubles uh of leadership and the challenges of of leadership and and remember leading god's people (laughs) Uh, being aware you know of our own sinfulness and and weakness um the leadership of this church the elders and the one in training so the just so you know to remind you the elders here are myself and and Eric, and Tim, and Wes, and we have one in training, Aaron, the male one, <laughs> just in case you weren't sure. But, uh, and also uh, my, my partner in ministry, Thomas, who assists us in so many ways. We all uh, just completed a great book titled Leading with Love, Leading with Love. So while the church was going through Love or Die, we were going through, we were doing that as well, but also as elders, we were doing a book titled Leading with Love because we understand we, we desire to be leaders that would please God and serve you well. And in part one, and we know that we're weak men and that we have our own issues, and so we need to continually be exhorted as well and learn from God's word and grow in our leadership. In part one of the book, uh, it's titled, Love is Indispensable to Christian Leadership. I completely agree. Love is indispensable to Christian leadership. But I would add this, that love is also indispensable to the Christians who come under that leadership. (laughs) You get me? So, in our text today, the focus just so you know, is, is primarily not on the leadership of the church, but rather on those who are being led. The exhortation is not to the shepherds but of the church, but to the sheep, to the sheep. So with all of that as an intro, let's read our text and then we'll dive in, all right? You ready for that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, just two verses. To this good church, Paul writes here at the close of this letter, coming to the close of this letter, 
He writes this, we ask you, brothers, and the word brothers, again, I've said this before, but just so that we're clear, can be understood as brothers and sisters or fellow Christians. So he's speaking to the body at large. We ask you, brothers, fellow Christians, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. That's it, just two passages, two verses this morning, okay? Who are the people Paul is describing when he says, those, those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you? Well, I believe... As uh, many commentator, Bible commentators and scholars believe, that he is referring to the leadership of the church and specifically the elders of this young congregation. And one of the reasons um, I would say that is because if you're looking at the the sentence itself, where you see to respect those those, it's one definite article, and then you have these. Three participles attached to that. So it's this. It's those who labor among you, are over you, and admonish you. It's not those who labor among you and those who are over you, different group, and those who admonish you. It's all three attached back to those. So those statements describe one type of person. So that's that's the first thing I want you to see. And, And because the phrases are over you in the Lord and admonish you, are included in the description of these people that he's talking about, not just they labor among you, but they're over you and admonish you, it would lend itself to believing then that these are specifically the elders of the church because those are descriptive of their responsibilities in the body of Christ. The elders, the Pastors, the shepherds, the overseers, all words used to describe those who are primarily tasked with leading in the body of Christ. We learn in Acts 14.23, and this was Paul's first missionary journey, you can write it down, but that informs us that it was Paul's practice as he planted churches to appoint elders, plural, over those churches, either when he was there or he would even come back after the churches were formed because of timing and such and look to appoint leadership. Leadership's important, right? And the church is not without leadership, or it shouldn't be, I should say. That's not how God designed it. He wants it to have good, godly leadership and has spoken to that very matter. And the Apostle Paul, in representing the Lord Jesus Christ and following his commands, looked to appoint that leadership in every church. Now, people ask questions about that because this church was young. It was young. You know, it hadn't been around a long time, so... But that doesn't mean that they didn't have leadership. So, 
based on verses 12 and 13 and what Paul is saying, I would take the position that they did have leadership. The leadership would have been elders, and Paul either appointed them before he was booted out, or it's possible that when Timothy was sent back, he handled that task. We don't know, but we can speculate and make a good assumption that leadership existed because he's addressing the matter right here at the end of the passage. Now, what led to Paul including this in the letter to this church that, for all for, for the most part, as we read through the letter, appears to be a, a solid, healthy, good church. Why would he address this matter? Why is he asking the brothers and sisters there to respect and highly esteem and love those who are leading among them, specifically, like I told you, I believe it to be the elders of that church? Why would he need to address that? Well, we don't know. Okay, the text doesn't tell us. We don't know why Paul brought it up, but um, it's possible that, again, considering the circumstances, this was a young church. They all kind of came to faith together at the same time, and there certainly would have been some that might have been more mature, God-fearers who had followed, knew the Scriptures, but had yet to give their life to Jesus Christ, Maybe those were the ones that were elevated to the place of, um, or selected, I should say, for the place of eldership. But there could have been uh, some uneasiness in the church about these folks who are now all of a sudden leading over them. So the idea is like, hey, listen, we all came to faith in Christ at the same time, and, and now I'm supposed to uh, come under the leadership of Bob? Why, you know, or, I don't know, it just doesn't feel right. I mean, he's been a Christian as long as me, so why does he get to be the leader? It could be, we don't know, you know, and maybe there, maybe there was some type of tension brewing. Remember, Timothy had come back, given him a report. We don't know. This is all speculation. Either way, Paul felt it necessary to address the matter and to speak to the congregation and ask them specifically about some certain things concerning their leadership. Interesting, though, something I just would point out, he doesn't say here, obey your leaders. He doesn't say that. We find that command in another letter in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 17, where it says specifically, the writer there says to the church, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Again, speaking of the elders of a local congregation, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So that was addressed there in Hebrews, but it wasn't addressed here. So I don't, I don't think there's an issue per se with them not following the leadership that was established there in Thessalonica? Because if there was an issue with that, Paul would have addressed it. That's just how Paul is. He doesn't mess around. He would have spoken right to it. But throughout the letter, he's talked about really giving a lot of kudos to this church, commended them for many things. And so I think if they were being disobedient to the leadership there, I don't, 
I think Paul would have addressed it. Rather, he says, right, I ask you, brothers, respect them. Esteem them highly in love, okay, which we're going to look at. So I think it may have been more about attitude, more about an attitude, because you can obey and follow with a really lousy attitude. Huh? If you have kids, you know this to be true. And if you've ever led any human being, you know this to be true. So maybe the, and, and if this attitude goes unchecked, it will eventually lead to disobedience. So the attitude's got to be right concerning the leadership, because if it's not, eventually you'll just say, forget it. I don't have to obey them. I'm not going to listen to them. Who do they think they are anyways? I'm not going to follow them. So he addresses the attitude. Now, concerning the leadership or elders of the church, let's, let's look back now at this threefold function, really, that he lays out here of these men that he, he chooses to draw attention to when he asks the congregation to respect them and esteem them highly in love for their work. Let's look back at this. These are the, the issues he, he brings forth. This is not all that elders do or all that could be said about them, but it's the ones that Paul wants to bring up before the congregation for them to consider in their respecting and in their esteeming highly. Okay? Looking back at the text, we ask you, brothers, to respect those, and the first thing is, who labor among you, who labor among you. Another translation says those who work hard among you, work hard among you. Now, again, if that was all that Paul said, and he didn't go on to say the other things about being over you and admonishing you, then... Paul could certainly have been referring to all kinds of folks within the church. That category fits every single person that works in children's ministry. Or in all the other ministries, set up, tear down, music, worship, all of it, greeting, all of it, hard. They work hard, they labor, they toil. Some ministry requires greater labor, but working hard, right? So, That description can fit a lot of folks, but it certainly fits the folks that lead. One writer says, their labors, them being the elders of the church, the pastors, the shepherds of the church, their labors, their, their working hard, is in the realm of leadership and, and admonition or admonishing. Okay, They work hard at that. They work hard in those areas of They work hard in being over you. We'll talk about that in a moment, so hold your breath for that. And admonishing you. It's hard work. It's hard work. The meaning of the word translated labor in our text has been explained by scholars in the following way. To toil, strive, struggle, and to grow weary in doing so. Or to exhibit great effort and exertion to the point of sweat and exhaustion. Or, work requiring strenuous effort resulting in weariness. Moses, I can't do this anymore, as he leads the people of God. Just kill me now. 
Now, I need to say this because I have spoken about the difficulties of leadership and specifically within the church, and then some people have taken that the wrong way. But let me say this. That it, and let me explain. That it, that it is hard work, and it is hard work. It is toil. It is labor to care properly for the people of God, to lead them, to admonish them. Because it is hard work, that doesn't mean that you should not come to the elders with your troubles when you feel like you need help. Do you understand what I'm saying? I've had people say to me, well, Jeremy, you know, I know it's weary or I've heard what you said. It's, it's really hard work. Yeah, that's the role. And God gives grace and strength for the task. But it's hard. But that's the role. So you're not doing us any favors. You're not doing me any favors. You're not doing the elder board any favors by saying, well, then I don't want to make their lives more difficult. So I'll just keep this challenge to myself and I won't seek the help of the leadership because that will somehow help them. It will not help us. What will happen is you will likely go further down the drain in whatever area you're struggling with and then it will be even that much harder for us to assist you because of all the damage that has accumulated when you weren't seeking help. Does that make sense to you? I would rather you... Come to us if you need the help. That, in fact, that's why we're here. To guide, to lead, to assist, to admonish, to encourage, to exhort, to strengthen, to love, to care for your soul. So I'm speaking on behalf of the elders. Come to us if you need help. Okay? That is why we're here. You're not doing us any favors. You're not doing the church any favors by not sharing your burdens with us that you need help with. Now, you, you might have a lot of stuff that you're working out on your own, and I hope so. As you grow in your Christianity and your Christian life, you'll be able to diagnose your own problems, go to the Word. Hopefully, that's what's happening. You'll take advice you've received before, and you'll apply it again, right? But what if you're in over your head? then come to us, okay? Come to us. But know this, it's hard work. It's hard work. To that, Paul adds, we ask you, brothers, to respect, in verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. The NASB translates it, have charge over you in the Lord. Charge over you in the Lord. Okay, so that word, over you, charge over you, in ancient writings, it was applied to that word, a variety of officials, superintendents, village heads or chiefs, those in charge of a village, landlords, in ancient writings, estate managers, and guardians of children. In all of those situations, both the idea of leading and caring and protecting 
were there, present in that title. Okay? Leading and caring and protecting. Guardians, heads, superintendents, officials. And that word is being used to speak of those who have leadership in the church over you. One writer adds, it conveys the notion of authoritatively presiding, leading, or directing. Presiding, leading, or directing. In other words, it has an element of authority attached to it. Along with that authority, or given that authority, in order to lead, care for, and protect. You with me? Over you. Now, here's the thing. So that's, that's what we have to see, that, that over you, it's a, it's a caring, it's a leading, it's a protecting, it's, it's watching out for, it's keeping from danger, it's, stra- it's all of that. So you say, right, to the oldest sibling of your family, mom and dad, because you're getting ready to go out on a date, you say to the oldest sibling, you are in charge, right? Maybe, if you feel like you can trust them. You say, you are in charge. What does that mean when you say that? What does that mean? Now, what you think it means and what that oldest sibling thinks it means could be two different things. But generally, what a parent means when he says that is, listen, you are to execute the rules that you know that we have, You are to provide some protection to your younger siblings. Don't let them kill each other or burn down the house. You are to watch over them, care for them. If anything gets out of hand, you know, call us. You're the link. We're leaving you responsible to care for these other precious ones in our stead, in our place. Yeah? Isn't that what it means? Yes, it's... Very similar, I would say basically the same thing, almost the same thing as, as what God has done in, in placing elders and raising up elders within a church. They have charge over you. Now, elders can lose their minds. Leadership can lose their minds, just like that sibling. Because then the sibling thinks charge means I'm in charge. Right? And it's not honoring mom and dad and what they would want to have happen in that household, but now it's honoring me. I'm in charge. Mom and dad left me in charge, you know? And then there's that whole thing, you know? We're going to tell mom and dad when they get back, oh, yeah, well, they're not here now. I'm in charge, that kind of thing. So that's not, that's an abuse then of that responsibility, so that's not, that's not what Paul's talking about when he says, charge over you. He's not talking about abusive. He's talking about proper, biblical, what it should mean. Just like a guardian of a child or uh, a steward of a, of a land or a home. You recognize it. Think about it. These are not your kids. So that older sibling, these are not your kids. These are not your children. They're mom and dad's children. They're not yours. They're someone else's but you've been tasked with caring for them, and that's going to require some authority. If they decide to run out into the street, someone in the house has to be able to say, 
No, you cannot run out into the street. And I am speaking on behalf of mom and dad with their authority. And you must listen to me, right? Because that's what you would do. You go to the younger siblings and go, now listen, you need to listen to your older brother, older sister, right? There's a, you need to listen. There's authority and submission. It's all included. It's no different in the church. As long as the elders are representing God, giving you instruction from his word, they are speaking on behalf of him because they have been tasked with caring for you. They have charge over you, tasked with leading you, tasked with protecting you. It's pretty heavy, guys. And because I know the weakness and frailty of man, because I know my own, we continually, to the elders, we... We address that. We make sure, hey, we need to continue to check ourselves. I recently sent them an article. I think Thomas sent me. I don't remember, but just a a fantastic. It's called The Nature and Limits of Pastoral Authority. If you want it, if you want to read that article, I'm happy to send it to you. I would love to send it to you. So ask me for it. Put it on the connection card. Say, I want the article. It's called The Nature and and limits of pastoral authority. Good article, right? We are but under shepherds, under the great shepherd. Our authority is limited to the word of God. That's where it comes from. We have no intrinsic authority. We are to lead and to care for the flock like Christ would. We are accountable to him directly and to the body. Right? So all those constant reminders, we need them. And if you want the article, I'll send it to you. I, I even addressed this subject when, um, when we went through First Peter, right? Because Peter then addressed the elders, exhorted the elders there. Maybe you remember verse 2, he says in First Peter 5, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. There's the wording again, but being examples to the flock. In your charge. It's everything I just said. The elders have authority, but the authority is not to be abused. It's, it's an authority that's used, it's supposed to be used to help, not hurt. Used to build up, not tear down. Not to be domineering. But the leadership, as I've already said, are not the ones being exhorted in 1 Thess 5. Rather, it is the congregation. I'm giving you all that to, know, to say, yeah, there's two sides. Both sides are dealt with in the scriptures. Both sides are addressed. Both sides are exhorted. But there are two sides to this relationship. And both need to do their part as God has called them to in order for it to work as effectively as it can. You with me? It's not just the leadership. Yes, the leadership needs to submit to the word of God as well. They need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to continually humble their hearts 
crush pride. Ugly, wicked. That song that we sing, less of me, more of you. Yes, the leadership. But what responsibilities does the congregation have? Those being led. And that's what we're looking at this morning. You with me? Good. First Thess 5.12, back to the passage. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. In the Lord. In the Lord. In the Lord. So one writer says that that phrase defines the nature and scope of their leadership, of the elders' leadership. They are not secular leaders dealing with civic or political affairs, but rather preside in connection with the spiritual concerns of the saints. That's where their leadership is at. Their position of leadership in the church is based upon the recognized fact that both they and those being led are in the Lord. And one commentator says this, his lordship underlies their leadership. His lordship underlies their leadership. Their authority is not that of a formal ecclesiastical hierarchy, but rather is one that should be exercised in the warmth of Christian bonds. It is, they are over you in the Lord. Now, looking back at the text, in other words, in the church, okay? In the church, in the body of Christ. First Thess 5.12, we ask you, brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and third, and admonish you. Admonish you. He draws that one out. This is not the only thing elders do. But this is something they do. or They are responsible to do. Admonish literally means, as one Bible scholar puts it, to put in mind and usually carries the implication of blame attached. In other words, calling attention to faults or defects. Faults or defects in the spiritual life. It is the activity of reminding someone of what he has forgotten or is in danger of forgetting. It may involve a rebuke for wrongdoing as well as a warning to be on guard against wrongdoing. It directs an appeal to the conscience and will of one being admonished in order to stir him to watchfulness or obedience. Naturally, as one writer says, it arouses resentment. Since discipline is never pleasant. Now, beloved, admonishing is the task of every Christian in the church, okay? It's not just of the elders. You can look through the scriptures. You, brothers and sisters in Christ, are called to admonish one another. Admonish your kids, okay? But it is especially the task of the elders. And as I said, it's never a pleasant task. One pastor says this, usually the person being admonished will resist your counsel or attack you in response because he doesn't want you to face his sin or he doesn't want to face his sin. Then he goes on to admonish pastors, but if you care about him and want him to be all that God wants him to be, which is the heart of biblical love, then you must admonish him. 
if he's heading toward a spiritual cliff. And so, yes, that's what we must do. You think that's easy? How many of you love admonishing your children? You love it? How draining is it? Or let me say, how draining can it be? It's not always draining. You know what's really awesome is when they say, okay, thank you for your admonishment and <laughs> correction, warning. I did not see I was running off a cliff, and now I do. My eyes have been opened to your wisdom, mother and father. And, and they may not say all that, but sometimes you, you do get compliance. Sometimes they say that, but... A lot of times, especially as they get a little bit older and a little more obnoxious and independent. It's, yeah, okay? So, it's not easy work, folks. It is toil. But if we love you, then we would admonish you. We wouldn't just stand back and say, yeah, whatever. Let's all just be happy, you know? Let's all clap. Let's all clap and be happy while you continue in your rebellion or sin that will destroy you. And not just you, but splash out on those around you, your family and your church. So that's the task we've been given, especially That's why entering into eldership, it's not like some people should be raising their hands for, like, oh, I want to do that. That would make me nervous, in fact. Like you, I mean, in the sense that, oh, yeah, I really want to do that. No, if you're called to do it, then you feel like, I feel, I feel called. God is calling me to this. That's different than, yeah, I really want to do that. That just makes me a little nervous because, like, you know what you're getting into? This is kind of a really messy, difficult intense thing. It'll drain you. It'll, it'll suck the life out of you. You're going to have to, and, and that's good because you're going to have to rely on God's grace and his mercy and his love. You're going you're gonna to have to continually be reminded of the great reward that awaits you if you will faithfully serve the great shepherd in this task as an under-shepherd. You're going to have to think all those things. So it'll have a sanctifying influence on you, but you better not enter into it lightly. And then that's why all the qualifications that the Bible states for those who are to lead. They better be these type of men. Any other type of men should not even think about it. Okay? Moses asked God to kill him. So, for those among you who work hard, okay, at leading and caring for your souls, who toil to see you live as God has called us to live, who labor to do the uneasy and challenging but important work of admonishing you when necessary, what should your attitude be toward them? Look back at the passage, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to 
respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Another word for respect or another translation says appreciate, appreciate. The definition of appreciate is to recognize the full worth of. You know, like when you're, listen, we've had this occur. Kids grow up, you know, and they're varying stages of compliance and obedience and disobedience and so on and so forth. And some of them make your life very difficult, others not as difficult, but then someday they move out and then they start to develop families of their own and then they, like, they realize, wow, I was terrible or I didn't, I didn't appreciate mom and, mom and dad, you know? I didn't, I didn't fully recognize the worth of what they did or what they were trying to do. I didn't get it. So they come back and they say, I appreciate you. I really appreciate what you did. I get it now, you know, but that's like, ah, if I could have had that 10 years ago, it would have been awesome. Ah, to wait for it though. But anyway, I appreciate you. They get it now. Some of them, sometimes they don't. They still just continue on in their foolishness. But, but that's the idea. Paul's saying, you know, don't wait. Listen, if all of you could do eldership for a year, you'd appreciate elders. It's similar, you know? You rowdy kids, you young people, try being a mom and dad. Try it. It's hard work. So, they're appreciating them, as it says in verse 13, because of their work. It's they're, appreci- they're respecting them, they're appreciating them, and they're esteeming them very highly in love because of their work. They're valuing them, or he, Paul's calling them to value them for what they do, recognize the full worth of what they do in the body of Christ. This does not mean that they're more worthy of anybody else. It just means they are worthy of respect for what they do. Consider what they do. This is an important task and a difficult one that God has called them to. And again, we're assuming this is good leadership, folks. I I mean, we're not talking about bad leaders, bad elders, out of control, maniacs, tyrants. Okay, that's, Paul would address that. That's a whole different story. If that's the case, if you were in a church like that, if this church ever becomes that, leave. Or try to save it first. Try to save it. No, I'm serious. Try to save it. Try to, you know, come together. Say, what's going on? You know, these guys are turned into tyrants. And they're, look at them. They're sitting over here and yet telling us to obey Christ. What's going on? Call that elder out. Call them out. But if it's the whole group, I don't know. You're going to have to gather up against them. That's all I'm saying. And do it, you know? Don't just split because that would be... So I take back what I said. Don't split. Try to fight back. But what if you can't fight back? What if it's just not possible? Then leave. I'm serious. That's not a good church. As the leadership goes, so goes the church, beloved. This is why the high calling. This is why all the requirements... He doesn't say, hey, you want to be an elder? Raise your hand. All right, come on up. Let's vote. 
It doesn't work like that. We're spending a year training Aaron. And, and part of that's just testing, like, are we sure? We believe to be sure, otherwise we wouldn't have called him into training, but are we sure? Do we want this guy? Do we think he's qualified to care for God's people properly, biblically? So far, we're good. So far, brother. No, not an easy task. Not something to be entered into lightly. Respect them, appreciate them, esteem them very highly. One writer says this, I like this. They are neither, the congregation are neither to despise them, the elders, as if they were dispensable. Who cares about them? What are they? What are they? They're the leadership that God gave you to care for your souls. What are you talking about? What are they? Not that you would say that. I'm just saying, can you, but I could imagine someone kind of having that attitude. Yeah, what, who cares? Who cares? God cares. They are neither to despise them as if they were dispensable, nor to flatter or fawn on them as if they were popes or princes. I like that balance. But rather to respect them. Don't worship the elders. That would be a mistake too. Now, when I say elders, I also mean pastors, the same thing. So I've seen there's pastor worship that takes place. That shouldn't be happening. There's only one you're supposed to be worshiping. He's not a man. He's a divine man. But he's not just a man. So not worship, but also not despising. That's the other side of the ditch. Respect. I'm going to tell you, remember I told you pride plays into this? Well, you know, pride, what does it do? It downplays the worth of others. It diminishes it because it inflates the person's own worth, right? With pride, I'm the one who's worthy of, if I'm proud, I'm the one who's worthy of worship. Uh, I'm the one who's worthy of respect. I'm the one who's worth, blah, 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 me, 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 right? So there's no room for you to pay respects to another or to appreciate them. Who's appreciating me? That's pride. So like I said, pride gets in there and just makes a mess of things. Makes a mess of marriages, makes a mess of workplaces, makes a mess of the government, makes a mess of churches, makes a mess of leadership. That's why we constantly have to be pushing back against it, crucifying it, killing it, and humbling our proud hearts. Paul adds to respect In verse 13, esteem them very highly in love, again, because of their work. Another translation puts it this way, hold them in the highest regard in love, in love. Esteem them very highly. The the words there, it's a compound word. It means abundantly out of all bounds beyond all measure. (laughs) It calls for a personal regard for them in the highest possible measure, beyond measure, actually. That's what... That's what Paul says of these folks who labor at leading you, caring for you, protecting you, and admonishing you. Esteem them very highly. In love. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. 
One writer commenting on what it means in love says this, it points to the affectionate nature of their esteem toward their leaders. In verse 12, they were urged to think rightly of their leaders, appreciate them, respect them, consider their value, value them in their work, for their work. Now they are admonished to have an affectionate feeling toward them. Whenever love does not dominate the admonitions of the leaders, however much they may be deserved by the members, will always tend to provoke resentment against those giving admonition. You get what he's saying? If love's missing and then admonition comes, then what returns back? Resentment, upsetness, frustration, I don't like you. Who are you to talk to me like that? If the church, the leaders and the leadership and those being led are to have cordial relations between leaders and members, love must prevail. When they have genuine love, they will not merely tolerate the admonitions of their leaders, but will graciously accept them. Which is awesome if a church is functioning that way, or let me say to the degree that a church functions that way. Because remember, why are the admonitions given in the first place? Well, a church is functioning properly is because the leaders are caring about you, loving on you, and those they need to warn you and exhort you and tell you, don't do this. Or remember, you're walking towards trouble. That's why they bring that information, that admonition. They bring it, hopefully, in love. It should be received in love. And if it were, then the response would be, yes, thank you, instead of, whatever, whatever. I don't know who you think you are anyway. I'll just go to another church. And that's what some people do, because we got one on every corner. A little bit harder back in the, in the day, right? You got a church in Thessalonica. Where are you going to go? You know, you didn't have great transportation back then. Like, I'll just drive to Ephesus or something. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. You're not going to go to the synagogue, you know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of options. You're not going to go pagan. So, I guess I got to work it out. It's unfortunate, really, in one way, that there's just so many churches. But you know what? In one way, it's not. It's the issue of people, that they're just so willing to up and leave instead of receive the loving admonition of their elders and respect them and honor them, as the Bible calls them to. Finally, Paul says this. We'll close out here. He says this, be at peace among yourselves. (laughs) Okay, so going back, that's, so he says all that. He says, be at peace among yourselves. The leadership with those being led and those being led with the leadership. Be at peace. Be at peace. Right? So everything he's called just now them to do, because we're assuming the leadership's good, otherwise he would have addressed it in this church. So now he's just calling, hey, guys, I'm asking you. So there may have been something brewing. Think about what they do. Think about their work. You need to respect it. You need to value it. You need to esteem them very highly in love because of what they do. They're leading you. They're caring for you. They're protecting you, right? If you would do that, I've given you the, the requirements that would bring about a peace within that body, not tension, not irritation, not frustration, not complaining, 
not slander, you know. It's like, uh, I used to watch this happen, something about it, but you know, you're, when you're in a working situation and you're with, you're not a manager, you're not a, a leader per se, overseeing, supervising, you're one of the guys or gals and you're with the group and everything's wonderful and you have great relation. And then you become, you get promoted to management. And you're like, where'd my friends go? <laughs> where'd they go? What happened? You know, all of a sudden something changes. Why? Why is that? Why is that? We see it in the workplace. This is a pushback. Generally, it seems like just a general pushback. We're bent towards pushing back against authority, pushing back against anyone speaking into our lives in a way that is a, we don't like or not telling us what we want to hear. But we don't like it. We push back. That's sin, guys. That's not righteousness. That's sin. You know, like, oh, and we always do the caveats, you know? Now, look, if an elder tells you to do something that's not biblical or gives you instruction or whatever, of course, of course, you don't submit to that, of course. But even, even that, you're like, who do you think you are? I mean, it'd be like, hey, I don't, is that biblical? You know, you might, you would still kind of approach it, not in a like jerky fashion or whatever. But yeah, you it just, like I said, in the whole situation, all of a sudden you become a manager, some of you become a leader, just something about that, that they, everything was good and peaceful. Now you become in a position of overseeing and all of a sudden tension, complaining, they find all your faults. Wow. Be at peace among yourselves. One writer says, no church can grow spiritually without its members being at peace among themselves. It's just like in a home. We were taught, I was talking about this. I know I'm over, but I was talking about this. I know you're looking at me. With, um, with, a, with a dear brother, just about, you know the tension that comes into a home when one of the kids is just, or multiple kids are out of, like they just won't listen. They're fighting back against mom and dad. You know that tension? It's uncomfortable. It's uneasy. It's, it, you know what I mean? You can't, there's no peace. So everyone else is cool, but that one kid, man, it just breaks a peace, right? Hey, guys, the church is not different in that way. You know, so I, what we're striving for is a, an environment of peace where there's not that tension, that just you know things aren't right, but rather this beautiful relationship between the leadership and those being led Loving one another, caring for one another, coming under their leadership willingly, respecting them properly, appreciating them, esteeming them highly as the leadership seeks to love you as we are called to do. And it's never going to be perfect. It's always going to have inconsistencies and, you know, mishaps. But if that's the general direction, that's a, that's a healthy church. Solid church, a place where you want to be and want to come, you know? But it's not just the leadership. That's what I'm saying. People just immediately, something wrong with the church, it's the leadership. You know what? Not always. A lot of times it's the congregation. So you got to do your part. We got to do our part. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this church. I love this place. I love these people. 
And you know my heart, Father. I preach this message not because I feel like uh, that there's something wrong with this congregation. I don't. But I know we're all subject to or, or tempted, can be tempted to act like fools. Both leaders and those being led. We, we are prone to rebellion, prone to selfishness, pl- prone to self-centeredness, prone to pride. Prone to pride, Father. And so I am thankful for this word here that as we take it in and absorb it and meditate on it, that we would strive to comply with the word right here. Just as when the scriptures speak to us as leaders, that we as leaders, as the elders of this beautiful, wonderful fellowship would strive with all of our might to, and by the power of the spirit that dwells in us and by your grace to comply and to come into obedience under that word. Also, Father, I pray for this beautiful congregation that they would strive to be the best congregation that they can be to the leadership. (laughs) Father, help us both because we need it. We'll always need it. Always. We'll always have to rely on your grace and help us to do that, Father. And where anyone has strayed, Father, bring the power of the Spirit's conviction in their life even now that they might repent for the good of your church, for the good of your church, and for your glory. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.